Bloody Elbow presents the Level Change Podcast, the combat sports variety show that brings you analysis, fight announcements, and insightful discussion of MMA's biggest headlines. Paid Bloody Elbow Podcast Substack subscribers will hear bonus content, if available, at the end of the broadcast. Be sure to subscribe at bloodyelbow.substack.com for our newsletter and at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com for our podcast network. Follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog, and as always, on bloodyelbow.com. Thanks for listening. Here are your hosts, Steffi Haynes and Victor Rodriguez. Welcome back, and thank you for listening to episode 245 of the Level Change Podcast. I'm Steffi Haynes, and normally I would be joined by my amazing co-host, Victor Rodriguez, but he had to take his boy to the dentist today, so I have a special co-host with me today. I am joined by Tim Bissell, Bloody Elbow, one of Bloody Elbow's top guys, one of the managing editors, the man behind the scenes. I know you have all seen his work on sumo wrestling and lots of other things. The staff picks, he picks up all sorts of stuff. He is the busiest guy back there. Tim Bissell, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. So let's talk a little bit about you. How did you end up at Bloody Elbow and... What what exactly is your role there? So I was reading Bloody Elbow, like so many of us at the side. I started off as a reader. And this was in about, I would say, 2014. Uh, I was I was really reading a lot of what was on the site. I was listening to every podcast. I was just loving it. And at the time, I was working in the TV industry. And I wasn't loving that very much. And... I was kind of looking for a bit of an escape. I was, I'd always wanted to be a writer. I wanted to write in TV, uh, but those opportunities just seemed like they were getting further and further away, uh, no matter how hard I worked. And it got to a point where it's like, I really want to write. I want to, I want to write something, and I want it to be out there. And I was reading stuff on Body Elbow. I was reading stuff on MMA Fighting, things by Chuck Mendenhall and Sean Alshadi and Kareem Zidane. And I was like, no, I'd love to try writing something like this. So... I just started pestering Kid Nate and uh, emailing him saying, you know, can I do this? Can I do that? Can I do that? And I wore him down and he said, uh, yeah, write a fan post. So I wrote a fan post. It was an interview with uh, Noah Inhofer, mm-hmm. the guy who quit Tough. Yeah. Uh, tough season two, I believe. Yeah. So he was the guy who elicited Dana White's famous, you know, do you want to be an effing fighter? So I did a, a interview piece on him, and, and that's initially what I wanted to be, a feature writer. And uh, I did a few more interviews with uh, former Tough castmates, including like Marlon Sims, which is one of the wildest stories I've ever written. I'm, I'm not sure how much of it is true, what he told me, but it, it was entertaining to, to listen to and to write about. And eventually, uh, Nate got sick of me bugging him and said, hey, do you just want to work on staff? And I said, yes, I do. And so for the next couple of years, I would just be very occasional at Bloody Elbow, writing a piece here and there while doing my regular job. But as I started to dislike my regular job more and more and enjoy writing for Bloody Elbow more and more, I started to adjust the balance. So then I was doing more at BE and less outside of it. And eventually, uh, I think it was in 2019, uh, 
Nate asked me if I would like to be an editor. A big reason for that was uh, your good friend Mookie. He moved from the East Coast to the West Coast, leaving a big hole. They had nobody on the uh, on the East in that time zone, so they needed someone to be around in the mornings who could uh, look after the site. And I'm in Toronto, so that's my time zone. So I was the guy who got called up to do that. And since then, I've changed from being an occasional feature writer to just being an editor of a site and doing everything and anything that's needed. And when our friend Mookie went to uh, field goals uh, full time, there was a, another gap to fill with uh, the event coverage. So the last few years, that's been uh, my specific realm on Bloody Elbow and uh, being on top of what events are happening and what we need to do for them and, and asking people very nicely to to do the posts that are required of them. And you're the SEO king. Let me tell you, this guy knows SEO better than anybody. I learned a lot, a lot from you. Now, I want to ask you how you got into Sumo, because that's going to be the crux of our conversation today. So tell me a little bit about how you came to love Sumo so much. Well, it's always been something I've kind of been drawn to, just the just the action of the actual bouts themselves have always kind of like thrilled me, but I haven't been following it that closely for very long. I remember for Bloody Oba, I wrote an article about a scandal in Sumo about a, a Yokozuna at the time named Haruma Fuji, who was embroiled in a scandal over a bar fight. And something else I do at Bloody Oba a lot is write crime stories. So this was right in my wheelhouse. So I was writing that and I included in the article a highlight reel of all of Haruma Fuji's bouts in this one tournament and just watching him compete bout to bout. I didn't know this at the time, but a tournament is 15 days. These guys wrestle every single day and it's all about the record you get at the end of it. And just watching him fight these 15 different uh, bouts and just the diversity and the different ways he was winning. And I came to it with an assumption that these were just big guys who just crash into each other and push back and forth and who pushes the hardest wins. But seeing the the throws and the trips and the the footwork and and the striking too, which was super surprising, I was like, wow, there's a lot more to this sport than uh, than I had assumed. And so that was kind of in the back of my mind a couple of years ago. And uh, as my interest in MMA started to wane a little bit, uh, just because at BE we cover the ugly side of a sport a lot, and sometimes the ugly side starts to outweigh anything else. So I think. A lot of us go for periods of burnout when it comes to the UFC specifically. So I was kind of looking for something else to kind of write about and, and enjoy writing about again. And Sumo is right there. Now, Sumo has lots of problematic stuff itself. And, and I'm sure I'll get to that in my coverage eventually. But right now, I'm at, my, at the stage where it's a lot more just uh, enthusiasm and covering uh, the sport for what it is in the ring. But uh, I'm sure in the in the years to come, it'll be something where I take a deeper look into it like I have with MMA and, and boxing and, and who knows, maybe maybe I'll ruin another sport for me, but we'll see. <laughs> You're in the honeymoon phase right now. Mm-hmm. Let's yeah, talk this... sumo then. Let's, okay. let's dive in. I have a zillion questions for you. Let's start with, you mentioned a Yokozuna. Yes. Why do we have that term? Uh, you, you know, my first experience with a Yokozuna was the wrestling Yokozuna. Right. So tell us what a Yokozuna is. 
So Yokozuna is a rank. It's the highest rank in sumo. And there's only been 73 Yokozuna in the like 1,500-year 1, 1, history of organized sumo. So it's a very, very hard rank to attain. And sumo, in addition to being a sport, it's also very closely tied to Shintoism, the national religion of Japan. Mm -hmm. So within the sport, there's a lot of uh, religious and, and cultural ceremonies. And the Yokozuna title and, and role is one which comes with a lot of uh, ceremonial duties. It's basically being a, an embodiment of Japan. Uh, they, the creation story of Japan in Shinto has a wrestler, Raiden, uh, wrestling against nature to, for, for humanity. And the Yokozuna is seen as an embodiment of that <clears throat> great, um, almost like father figure of, of Japan. Um, it's a little ironic that as of late, the Yokozuna rank has been totally dominated by Mongolians uh, since in the last 20 years. The, all but one Yokozuna has been Mongolian. And when you think of the, the greats currently, uh, the greatest sumo wrestler of all time is Hakuho, who was uh, a Mongolian who retired uh, quite recently. Uh, but yeah, the Yokozuna is... It's the hardest rank to attain, and it's almost has a spiritual significance about it. And the reigning uh, Yokozuna right now is, is a man named Tarona Fuji, who's also Mongolian. And he's returning to competition this month after uh, a few tournaments off from double knee surgery. So it's an exciting time to watch sumo right now because you see a Yokozuna performing for the first time in a year. I am looking at an article you have up from last week because you have a column called Sumo Stomp. And it says here, uh, Sumo's Oziki Crisis. Describe mm -hmm. that for me. So Yokozuna is the top rank, and immediately below that is Ozeki. Okay. In Sumo, you have a number of divisions where all the wrestlers compete in. And based on how they do in a given tournament, their win-loss record, they they are either promoted or demoted. And sometimes you can be demoted all the way out of the division. The top division is called the Makauchi. And that's basically the best of the best. And then below that, there's a number of other divisions. Only the top two divisions are paid, by the way. You only get paid in sumo if you're in the top division or the second division. And within that top division, there are some upper ranks. So if you keep winning, rec keep winning tournaments, keep uh, having a winning record after each tournament, you get promoted within the division. And eventually, if you keep winning, you can become a Sanyaku, an upper-ranked wrestler. And the Sanyaku is Yokozuna at the top, Ozeki immediate below, and then Sekiwaki and Komosubi. What is... Quite confusing. <laughs> the Ozeki is basically the immediately under Yokozuna. Okay. And the Ozeki is a, is a... As you progress in sumo, as you get those titles, whether it's Sekiwaki, Ozeki, etc., they come with various perks. They come with financial perks. They come with uh, pension perks. They come with like uh, like parking spots. Like it, Everything is tied to what rank you are. And uh, in sumo lately, there's been a lack of Ozeki. There's supposed to always be two Ozeki, one representing the East, one representing the West. But the last little while, they've only had one. And uh, that's because a number of the recent Ozeki in the last uh, year or so have underperformed and been demoted from that position. And not enough guys have 
met the requirements to, to get the promotion to Ozeki. I have a question. When you say they underperformed, who determines that they underperformed? It's all based on a win-loss record. Okay. So it's 15 bouts, and everyone is just trying to get to eight, trying to get eight wins. Okay. So they have a winning record at the end of the day. And to be an Ozeki, if you have two back-to-back tournaments with a losing record, you lose your Ozeki title. Oh, wow. Okay. So what, what's it's a doyo? extremely brutal. What, what's a doyo? The doyo is the, the ring. Okay. The, that's the, the clay ring. Has that changed over the years? Or is that what I'm looking at with the little uh, stones around it and everything? Is that pretty much how it's been all along? Yeah. And it's handmade for every tournament. Really? So yeah. it's different, each one? Yep. They make it from the ground up. There's great videos online. Uh, there's a YouTube channel called Sumo Primetime, mm-hmm. uh, which is fantastic. And there's a video on there showing them building the doyo. And uh, it shows about the high-tech methods they use, including beer bottles to like, uh, make the straw bales and things like that. It's, it's really cool. It's really old-world tech they use to make this thing. But yeah, Sumo has a lot of things which are have not been changed for a very long time. So... It's been around, uh, at least organized sumo has been around for over a thousand years, but it seems to really be catching on like this year, last year, almost exclusively really catching on. Is it because they're streaming stuff now? What has caused all the buzz around sumo recently? I'm seeing it all over my timeline. I think it's a lot of excitement right now because there's been a real low period we're coming out of. Sumo was rocked with a number of scandals a few years back, including hazing scandals, which is a serious problem in the sport. Uh, sumo wrestlers live together in a stable, and based on your rank determines the kind of treatment you get, like when you have to wake up, when you eat, the kind of chores you do. And there's been a number of scandals about hazing incidents where, where uh, junior wrestlers have been treated terribly by pros and high-ranking wrestlers. There's also been gambling uh, scandals. Uh, there's been scandals involving the Yakuza. There's been scandals of wrestlers uh, behaving badly, getting in uh, bar fights and things like that. Let's back up. I want to hear about the Yakuza. Well, that's tied into the gambling most, mostly. Oh, okay. uh, and uh, matches being fixed. What kind of hazing would take place? Uh, it's, well... Physical beatings is the... Oh, my. Really? The, so, like, yeah. like a military-style hazing? Very much so. It's the the junior wrestlers are... It's kind of that steel-sharpened steel mentality where mm. they just like to beat each other up constantly to, to make each other better. And it, it leads to not a lot of protections for for young guys or for, for guys who are just don't have the, the ability or athleticism to ever be able to compete. At the highest level, they come into a, a, a stable where maybe there's no Zeki there, uh, someone who is like a walks around there like a king, and that Ozeki can basically do what he wants to you and tell you to do whatever he wants you to do within the stable. All right. You say they all live in a stable. Do the Yokozunas live in the same stable? Uh, once you get a higher rank, you're usually able to have your either a private like. A lot of the guys living in the stable, they all live in the same room, too. They all live in one big dormitory. So once you get up the rank, you can get a private room. And 
maybe a room outside of the stable itself, get your own living quarters. I believe if you get married, you're allowed to, to move out of the stable and have your own home. Are many of them married? Oh, well, fair number, yeah. Of the, of the older guys, yeah. How, how, um, how early do they start the training? I believe it's the, the younger wrestlers have to get up at like 5 a.m. No, I mean, to, like in their years, like how old do you need to be? How old are you when you first start training sumo? Well, in Japan, it's something kids do at school. Oh. And there's there's junior and high school championships. And and if you're good, you can get recruited by a stable once you graduate high school. And then you can enter uh, uh, senior sumo. Uh, depending on how you've done as a as a junior, uh, it determines what level of sumo you get to enter. Currently, it's quite exciting that in the second division, there's a kid called Oshii, who's 19, and this is his third ever uh, senior sumo tournament, and he's in the the second division, which is unheard of. He he came. He's a recruit of Hakuho, the the guy who talked about the Michael Jordan of of Yokozu, of, uh, of sumo who recruited him and. Uh, 19 years old, he started his pro career, basically. So you start pretty young, and if you're good, you can become a Yokozuna in your mid-20s. How long is a, a sumo career? Um, 30 to mid-30s, usually. The, the physical toll on their bodies is unlike anything I've heard of in any other sport. Really? And, uh, yeah, like, they wrestle every day during a tournament, and the thing is, if you're hurt and you, there's no like injured reserve or there's no postponing about, if you're scheduled to face someone on a, any given day and you blow, you blew your ACL out the previous day, it's a loss. It's a loss in your record. Wow. So if you, if you blow your ACL out on the first day of a tournament, say you, you blow it out in a win. So you have one win, then you're out for the entire tournament. Your record is one in 14. Hmm. You don't, there's no like, uh, no perks to being injured whatsoever. And that one in 15 record could be the difference between you being an Ozeki or being lower or being all the way out of the division and all the way out of the salaried divisions altogether. So guys always compete hurt. I saw a video clip this week of a sumo wrestler that something happened and he ended up going into like the splits. I mean, the splits. And clearly, something tore, ruptured, whatever I, I want to say, a hamstring, but I can't be for certain. But the way that he winced as soon as he hit a certain point tells me it was hamstring. Yeah. And he hoisted himself up from that position, from that almost seated in a split, full split. He hoisted himself up on one leg, mm. literally hoisted himself up and hopped away on one leg yeah one of the biggest misconceptions about sumo is that these are just fat guys yeah they're not they are incredible athletes the only reason they're so big is intentional these aren't naturally big men Uh they they start sumo and if you look at them in their first ever competitions they're like athletic dudes you'd imagine them in an mma fight but part of being a sumo wrestler is putting on weight so you can compete and that means eating enormous meals every day at the stable and taking a nap afterwards because they believe that helps put on the weight if you have a nap after a huge meal. So you see these guys, once they retire and they become judges or they become coaches, I mean, they, you wouldn't think they're sumo wrestlers. They just look like 
super well-built dudes. And as far as splits go, doing a split is like sumo 101. It's like one of the first things all sumo wrestlers are going to do. Mm-hmm. They go down in the split and they have someone push their, their back forwards. So their, their chest is touching the ground. So they're extremely flexible and extremely powerful and able to do a lot uh, off their legs. Like the, the sumo stomp, the shiko stomp, where they stand in one leg and, and put the other leg straight up in the mm-hmm. air. I mean, it's difficult. Try it at home. It's, I can't do it. And, uh, again, sumo prime time, the YouTube channel has a lot of, uh, video showing the, the sumo workout and showing the kind of things these guys do. And I mean, I think it'll like really surprise you if you're not familiar with uh, the athleticism in sumo. I was doing some research for this and I came across, and I like to research from Twitter to see how well it's trending. And surprisingly, I got a lot, a lot of results. So I focused on some of the clips that I was looking at and I recognized a name, Akibono. Tell me about Akibono, because let me read to you the tweet I came across, and it had a great clip with it. It says, happy birthday to Akibono, a man whose matches were often so one-sided and short that posting them in isolation feels frivolous. Yeah. So Akibono is a a Hawaiian wrestler. He was the first uh, foreign-born wrestler to achieve the rank of Yokozuna. And so that was in uh, like the early 90s. So it was quite a, a seismic event for Japanese culture, not just sumo, for a, a non-Japanese person to be to have this holy spiritual rank of Yokozuna. But he got that way because he was undeniable. Because in addition to being massive, like he's six foot eight at least and 500 pounds at least. I mean, he could move. He, he didn't need to. Like, he was so strong and so powerful, he was just bouncing guys out of the ring. But uh, he was also able to, to do things with a little bit more panache than you'd expect a man that big and, and was able to, uh, to get out of a lot of uh, tricky situations. But like so many wrestlers who are that big, uh, injuries catch up so quickly because you carry that much weight and you get no breaks. You're competing every other month for 15 days straight or else you you're losing matches and losing your your status uh, unless you're Yokozuna. Yokozunas can't be demoted. They If they start doing poorly or are injured too often, they usually get uh, pressured by the Sumo Association to retire because if you have that rank, you're supposed to be like a, like Thanos. Mm, okay. Like Sumo is a sport where it's all about uh, like champions and, and champions who are hard to beat and just you want your Yokozuna to be dominating. And even the Ozeki class are supposed to dominate every tournament. But Yokozuna especially are, are supposed to like hardly lose. So if Yokozuna start um, not being able to, to win as much as, as they used to, they usually see them retire pretty quickly. Tell me about Taruna Fuji, since he is our current one. I'm Taruna looking at Fuji. a clip right now, and wow, he's amazing. Yeah, another guy who's huge, and uh, he is Mongolian. He was recruited out of uh, Mongolia for his uh, for his judo and uh, and bok, which is the traditional form of, of wrestling in Mongolia, which also involves um, the wrestlers grabbing onto garments. Like in bok, they wear uh, like little underwear. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's it's very similar to the the kind of wrestling you see in, in sumo, where 
this grabbing of the belt called the, the mawashi. So it's, it's a very transferable skill. And the wave of Mongolians coming into sumo, they completely revolutionized the sport by bringing in lots of techniques from uh, their traditional wrestling and from judo. And so Teruno Fuji is, I think he is 30, maybe a little older than that. Uh, he became a Yokozuna the last few years, but his, uh, his knees are just held together with duct tape at this point. He's coming off double knee surgery mm-hmm. and uh, he is just an incredibly powerful wrestler, has so much size and just so much power being able to drive off those knees. So where he's doing well so far, we're two days into the tournament and he, he's won his first uh, two bouts looking like an immovable object, looking like that Thanos guy that Yokozuna is supposed to represent. Uh, but the whispering is that this could be his last tournament or if not, one of the last. As, uh, mm-hmm. The big thing about sumo is a lot of guys are looking forward to retirement because it means they can start getting the weight off. So oh, it's yeah. no longer such pain on their knees and their backs. And also they can just get surgeries and not have to worry about missing tournaments. Like so many of these guys have these niggling injuries, which I'm sure they would love to get taken care of, but they just don't. They just try and tough it out and get even more hurt uh, for not doing it. But Toronto Fuji took the time off to have his surgery and took time off before coming back. And all signs point to him being like still the best in his class. We'll see how he holds up on like day 10 versus day two. Um, but yeah, it's, it's always exciting to watch Yokozuna. Like they have that rank for a reason and it's great watching like guys bounce off of him and, and uh, seeing Yokozuna really like do what they're supposed to do. Just a couple more questions. I came across someone, Ochi, is that am I right? Saying? Tell me Ochi. about him. He looks like a baby. My goodness. He looks like he's 15 years old. Yeah, that's the, the kid I mentioned earlier. He's, he's uh, 19, 19, maybe 20 by now. But he was the, he won everything you can as a, as a high schooler and uh, in amateur sumo competition. So he was able to enter the um, Grand Sumo at the third division, known as the Makashita, mm-hmm. in January, his first ever tournament against men. And he won that pretty handedly and was promoted to the Jurio, which is the second division. And he had a very good record in Jurio in March as well. And now he's still in the Jurio division because usually you have to win that a few times before getting promoted to the top. But he's coming. He's known as the monster. And... Uh, He's just so athletic, so strong, uh, a little rash in his decision-making right now, but he's also he belongs to a stable, which is run by Hakuho. I'll say again, the Michael Jordan of sumo, the greatest mind sumo has ever seen. So he has the greatest teacher you could have. And that entire stable, are, it's called the, the Miyagino stable. Uh-huh. They're probably the most popular. They're kind of like the, the Real Madrid of sumo. Like there's a, there's a lot of guys in that sumo and as stable who are very popular and some because of how good they are and some for the characters they are. There's a, there's a guy called Enho. He's about five foot six. I and saw is, him too. If you want to watch some fun sumo videos, look, look up Enho, E-N-H-O uh, videos on YouTube. He is little, but he is mighty. And uh, he's also 
like handsome and the, the heartthrob of sumo. So oh. he's very popular. Okay. Uh, and he sings as well. A lot of sumo wrestlers sing. because I noticed that. Okay, I came across a video of two small guys. Tell me about the wolf. Who is he? So Chiyono Fuji, uh, known as the wolf, uh, passed away uh, a few years ago. But he was a Yokozuna. And he's one of those guys where if you want to get excited about sumo, like look up uh, highlights for Chiyono Fuji. Uh, his sumo, that's what, what they say in sumo, like uh, his style, you just say his sumo was extremely exciting. Uh, lots of throws, uh, lots of high octane, like fast paced, and also quite a lot of uh, attitude. And you're supposed to be very stoic in sumo wrestling. And a lot of the Mongolians have been criticized for how enthusiastic they are in their bouts. And like uh, there's been scandals over fist pumps and things like that. But Chiyono Fuji, who was active in the in the 80s and 90s, uh, also had like a bit of a streak to him where he was very effusive and and sometimes it, he put a little bit of an extra shove there to put someone into the third row as opposed to the first row. Uh, but he's also not what you think of when you imagine a sumo wrestler. Like he has he was built. He had these huge shoulder muscles. Uh, he was uh, very very strong. He wasn't the biggest, but he was able to to drag people down, to, to toss them over with, uh, with judo throws, my belt work, uh, but very fun. And there's some great, great highlight reel videos available for him on YouTube. Definitely recommend checking out Chiyono Fuji. He was a little guy. I, I am stunned by how good he is. Wow. Mm-hmm. He's, he's really good. Yeah. So- well, he, he started off just trying, it took him a long time to become really good. Uh, he would just go into, they call it a tachiai, which is the opening clash where they smash into each other as hard as possible. And he used to go all, all or nothing on that until he really damaged his shoulder. So he had to learn how to be a little bit more crafty. And after he started focusing on, on moves, which didn't require him to just like hoist someone like or, or do these throws where he was really wrenching his shoulder out, once he got a little more smart is when he started getting the ranks and becoming the, the Yokozuna that we remember him as. I want to read to you something, and this was what put it over for me, that Sumo is really catching on, because yesterday, a Star Trek account called Starfleet Academy Department of History, because I am a nerd, and I follow all the Star Wars and Star Trek accounts, I can't help myself. But I saw this one, and it has uh, the current Yokozuna, and it's just a gift, but it's him doing the, the stomp and then inching his feet forward right at the beginning, you know. And it says, almost no human sports found appeal in the Klingon Empire right. after 2293. The one yeah. exception was Sumo, <laughs> whose focus on discipline, strength, and ritual was deeply appealing to Klingons. Leagues quickly appeared on Konos and many traveled to Japan to compete professionally. And I that just spoke to me. Yeah, it is I would, not, I would not like to see a sumo wrestler with a bat left. <laughs> I would. <laughs> I totally would. But I'll tell you what. Uh, it's, it's big. So my last question is, can you tell me what their, their earnings are like? What does a Yokozuna make? What does an Ozeki, uh, an Ozeki make? And, and on down the line. 
Well, like I said, it's only the two top, two the top divisions which are salaried mm-hmm. at all. Okay. And uh, so you're not making a living in sumo okay. if you're not in those top two divisions. Uh, but you're living at a stable. You have free rent, free food, and all that kind of thing. You're just working like okay. day and night. And as you go up the ranks, you get you make more money. You make you get more put into your pension the higher rank you are. And every time you defeat a yokozuna. If you're not in the upper ranks, you get a gold star, and that's a, a little bonus you get. Uh, so it's it's a big meritocracy when it comes to how much these guys get paid. Uh, but the upper ranks, I mean, they're pretty set. But still, to uh, to have a life outside of sumo, you have to like when you step away. If you want to stay in the sport, you have to achieve something called elder stock, uh, which means your the Japanese Sumo Association will let you can be a coach afterwards or let you be a stable master and so some guys if they want to stay in sumo and have that be their career they usually have to be pretty pretty good and have to have done a lot in their careers and uh maybe they would also they'd be set anyway for for money when it comes to that but to have the prestige of becoming the the coach of a stable you have to earn that uh those rights from the from the sumo association based on performance how many stables are there? Oh, lots. Really? Okay. Yeah. Like, like we're looking at like an MMA gym situation, you know, lots of them dotted everywhere. Like yeah, that. especially in Tokyo. Okay. They're, they're dotted around and they just look like laundromats from the outside. They're tiny. They're, they're basically just a room with a dirt floor where guys throw each other around and throw each other into these hardwood panel like walls all day. Uh, lots of them, if you're ever traveling to Japan, you can go and watch a morning practice usually. Uh, but if you look online and watch videos, I'll say it again, Sumo Prime Time, there's another one called Sumo Stew, Stew Like the Food, uh, which has amazing videos showing training and, and showing all these behind the scenes things. Uh, it's definitely not a glamorous lifestyle. The ones that are able to parlay it into uh, something bigger. Can they like actually retire like a Yokozuna or an Ozeki? Can they actually retire and like live life without ever having to work again? Because you can't do that in MMA unless you're at the very, very top. So I'm assuming it's the same here. Yeah, for sure. There's definitely a disparity between like how much the the top guys make versus everybody else. Mm. Uh, But these guys are also huge celebrities in Japan. So you see a lot of wrestlers uh, come out of sumo. And become actors or singers or, or TV hosts or pro wrestlers. There's a big, like, sumo to pro wrestling pipeline. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, they're, and like I mentioned, Enho, like uh, the, the little guy who, who is, who's known for being handsome. Like, as soon as he leaves sumo, uh, he'll be probably on a soap opera or something like that. So, there's, there's a lot of uh, opportunities for these guys if, you know, they meet those, those metrics of being popular or usually being handsome or, or being very the, good at what they do. Who pays for the tournaments? Who finances all the tournaments and sets up all the rings and sets up the the, the seating for, for the fans, etc.? Like, who is responsible for that? That's the Japanese Sumo Association. Okay, okay. And so, the, the men specifically who set up all that stuff are called the Yobidashi, mm-hmm. who are the ones who make the ring, they, they fill the... The ritual salt in the corner, which the sumo wrestlers throw. They, they're the ones who sing the sumo wrestlers' names when they come in. The Yobadashi are like a, a class unto themselves of, of people who for centuries have been 
making sumo work uh, as far as like the nuts and bolts of it. Okay. But the organization is it's the Japanese Sumo Association, which uh, which have TV rights, which have sponsors. That's like before every match, you see the Yobidashi will walk around the the outside of the ring with banners showing which companies are sponsoring this bout. So there's a lot of uh, sponsorship money. Do the do the athletes get sponsors? Yes, they do. Okay. Like uh, that's why you'll see like the opening ceremonies for for a tournament. The the wrestlers will gather and they'll be wearing uh, skirts which have their names on them, and often they'll have sponsors. So you see these very tough looking sumo wrestlers guys, and they'll have like a like an anime character, or they'll have like a like a squid mascot or something showing what company has been uh, sponsoring them for the tournament. Well, that's awesome. I mean, it, it sounds it sounds very um, steeped in history, but at the same time, it seems like it's trying to come into the present as well with the streaming and the sponsors and everything else. I mean, it's really catching on. I, I dig it. I, I was not a fan up until about, like I was telling you the other day, last year, maybe the year before, when I saw more coverage of it coming out, not only from us, it was like we started picking it up and then everybody else started picking it up too. So it's definitely experienced a pretty big boom from what I can see over the past two years. Yeah, but there are some big hurdles to getting into it. The most being the time zone. Like if you're on the East Coast, like these tournaments are happening at like 3 a.m. in the morning. So watching live is very difficult. And it's also very difficult to to stream them out of Japan. You have to kind of rely on on a very effective crew of pirates who uh, get all the, the footage out onto onto YouTube and Discord servers. Mm-hmm. There are official ways to watch, like NHK, mm-hmm. uh, which is Jap- Japan's biggest broadcaster, uh, carries the highlights, uh, but they those usually air around about noon the following day. Uh, so if you're like me and you wake up first thing in the morning and like, oh, I want to see who won like a few hours ago, I'm much more likely to fire up a, a non-official stream, we'll say, mm. to, to watch those. But there are options if you want to watch things completely legally. There's also uh, Abima, which is a, a Japanese streaming service, which has lots of Japanese pro wrestling and MMA and sumo on it. But again, you just got to be up at, at 3 a.m. To, to watch this stuff. Well, all right, Tim, this has been very enlightening conversation. What I want to do right now, give you a moment, promote anything that you have coming up. Do you have a new sumo bash coming out anytime this week? Anything you want to talk about, the floor is yours. Thank you. So the the May tournament, Grand Sumo, started on Sunday. So the next uh, 15 days, we have sumo coverage on Bloody Elbow. I have a results post on there. Uh, for the Natsu Basho. That's what this tournament is called, the, the summer tournament. And so every day, check that post, and you'll see the results. You'll see highlights. You'll see videos, GIFs. You'll see my analysis. Um, I try and bridge the gap between people who watch Sumo and people who may have never seen it before. Uh, so if you want to learn about Sumo or just enjoy a sport you really like, please hit us up on Bloody Elbow and look for those Sumo uh, posts if you want to get a notification in your emails about those, you can subscribe to the Substack, which is Sumo Stomp. And it's all free. It's just a place where I, I send out a newsletter to say, hey, there's a new post on Bloody Elbow, check it out. 
All right, there you have it, folks. Tim Bissell and the art of sumo. Y'all know the routine. Until next time, please stay safe. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Podcast Network production. Subscribe at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com. Give us your email and receive notifications when your favorite shows drop straight into your inbox. We're also found on a wide variety of podcast outlets, including SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, Audible, iHeartRadio, SiriusXM, Pandora, TuneIn Radio, Overcast, Google Podcasts, Music B, RSS Radio, IMDB, and now also found in your app store on apps such as Downcast, the podcast app, iCatcher, Podcruncher, Podbean, and more. Just search for Bloody Elbow Podcast and you will get brand new shows throughout the week, including the Care Don't Care Podcast, the Level Change Podcast, the Hey Not the Face Podcast, the MMA Vivisection Main Card and Prelims UFC Preview Shows, the Sixth Round Post-Fight Show, Crooklyn's Corner, the Sixth Round Retro, the Show Money Podcast, the MMA Depressed Us, exclusive fighter interviews, and the return of the MMA Bunker. <laughs>